Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So how has your August been so far, right? It's prime time, man. It's prime time for uh, a lot of fish out there. This is Bite Me, a Texas saltwater fishing podcast, a Gulf Coast saltwater fishing podcast. We love doing it. We uh, really appreciate the the numbers of people that are uh, loving uh, uh, to be a part of it via uh, listening and certainly by uh, te- uh, sending us to- topic suggestions and questions, uh, et cetera. And we have some some real good ones going on uh, for this week for you. Uh, how to get a hold of us? Uh, maybe you can reach us at uh, Facebook. Uh, that is Captain Scott Null on Facebook. I'm John Lopez on Facebook. Uh, and you can reach him also on uh, Instagram, Captain Scott Null. And I'm on Twitter, uh, at Lopez on Sports on Twitter, Lopez on Sports on Instagram. I get a lot of messages there. And uh, John Lopez on Facebook as well. It's been a good, good summer. The weather has been real good lately. We had a little dicey start, a little bit of a dicey start to the spring and early summer. But it's settled in nicely. And uh, it's time uh, to catch some more fish. And I hope you are. Uh, we're going to get into some really cool stuff this week. Uh, well, hopefully you will enjoy it. Uh, this week we're going to talk about uh, topwater baits. It's big bait, big fish. People talk about it. I don't think you have to necessarily throw big baits to catch big fish. I can tell you that from experience. Um, but it sure does help when you get that blow up on a topwater. There's whole, there are very few things uh, like that uh, when you do that. When, where, how do you throw those topwaters? Uh, what is it really, what are the conditions or, you know, what, what's the environment supposed to be like? Uh, how do you, uh, people, different people work them differently. We'll get into that. Topwaters are a premier fish catching experience. Uh, federal snapper season ended last week. 
that means a couple things now. Uh, it says something about uh, the snapper population in the Gulf Coast and the Texas Gulf and the in the, the Gulf in general. Uh, it also uh, means you got to make some adjustments if you want to catch some snapper. You're not necessarily done just yet. How are you going to catch snapper the rest of the summer? Uh, we'll tell you about that. Uh, some of the different ways uh, that you have to make that approach when you're fishing uh, Texas state waters as opposed to federal waters. Uh, and then uh, something that I'm really, really excited about uh, from a listener. We're going to break down every uh, part of uh, the Gulf Coast, at least on the Texas Gulf Coast. And uh, certainly uh, people can uh, who are listening from all over, and we appreciate that. We have listeners all over the uh, the Gulf Coast uh, and from Florida all the way into, uh, into Mexico and certainly uh, in Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, all that. We sure do appreciate that. Uh, all right, and then we're going to talk about what we can learn from as uh, fishermen in our area here from recent Louisiana uh, stock reports. It is really, really eye-opening, and hopefully we'll be able to get to this as well. It's it's, it's the end of summer. You're going to try to get that that family trip going, that family fishing trip, uh, maybe this, maybe that, uh, that dream offshore trip, uh, whatever it is. What are some of the recommendations that Captain Scott has uh, regarding, uh, you know, booking that trip? You know, what are some of the, 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 the destinations that you want to go to, the ways you want to approach it, how you want to get with uh, your guides? We had a guide show a couple of months ago, got their thoughts. I've never gotten Captain Scott's uh, on, uh, you know, Family X or the, the six or seven buddies uh, that want to go book some, some trips uh, what's the best approach to do that? Where do you go this time of year if you're looking for a particular species? Uh, as, as I mentioned, John Lopez, Captain Scott, this is the Bite Me Podcast. Uh, let's get rolling, man. We really appreciate you guys joining us. Captain Scott, hope you're doing well. I know you've been uh, tarpon fishing. You've been trying to catch the tailing reds uh, with uh, with your, your skiff and uh, sight casting and fly fishing. Appreciate you carving out some more time for us here. It's been a fun, fun ride. I want to talk about the podcast real quick. I, I'm blown away by how many listeners uh, have really, really reached out to us. I know you get a lot of it. I get a lot of it. It really warms the heart. You mentioned last week, you know, we, we don't get paid for this. Uh, you know, we I make my living on the radio and writing. You make your living uh, guiding and, and doing uh, a lot of the, uh, the, the writing that you do for outdoor magazines and, and such. The reason we got into this podcast was to just, I always say it, we tell you how we do things and you take what you want. You can wad it up, throw it away. You can take it, use it, implement it. I got a couple of weeks ago, I got two great, great pictures and I just wanted to share this story. And I know you've got some similar things that have uh, people that have reached out to you. Hey, John, you know, I got to be honest. We had a hard time catching fish. They were in Trinity and Galveston. I think he's Galveston Bay. Is where they like to fish. We we did exactly what you and Scott talked about on episode whatever. Uh, and for the first time uh, in my life, so clearly a guy that's older uh, to you know older guy that's just new to fishing, took his uh, two sons out. I think they were uh, young teenage boys. Wanted to learn how to uh, throw some artificial baits. They said for the first time in my life, we we did some of the things that you guys talked about. And I think they caught, I don't know if they limited out, but they were darn close to limiting out on uh, trout uh, in East Ma- in East Galveston Bay. And and that's why we're here, man. I mean, th- these are people that have fished their entire lives, never really, you know, everybody thinks they know. Guys have a lot of pride. 
and you don't want you don't want to say what you don't know. So we're, we're glad that you listened to the podcast. You picked up on some things, and and by you know by gosh, you know you caught some fish, and now we got you know three new fishermen doing doing things a different way. It just warms the heart. I know you got stories like that too. Yeah, I've get messages on Facebook, you know, thanking me for you know some individual little thing that we said that I. Yeah, I just said it off the cuff. It's just something I've always done and just mm-hmm. happened to say it. Uh, and people send me a message saying, hey, man, that hit a chord with me. I, I've never really thought about that. Mm-hmm. Never really considered this. Yeah, you know, whatever it is. It's, it just amazes me you know, how many people we are touching with it. It's mm-hmm. pretty cool. It's really, uh, really cool. Yeah. I was at, I was at HEB in Port <laughs> Lavaca here a little while back. I was, I was walking into the store. And this older gentleman's walking out. He's probably early seventies. And as he's walking out, we kind of make eye contact. Mm-hmm. Did the you know little the head, head nod, yeah. Hey, hey, how you doing? And as he walks by, he goes, "Have a good day, Captain Scott." Yeah. And I spun around, and looked. He didn't even look back. <laughs> yeah, he just he just threw that little "Have a good day, Captain Scott." And I was like, "Man, where did he? Do? <laughs> what what yeah. was that about?" Yeah, no, it's fun. but it, it's 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 kind of different. I was in Lake Jackson recently then. People always notice my laugh because I got that silly laugh. But uh, I was laughing, and then and, and a gentleman said kind of similar. He's like, so where are they today? And, I'm, you know, I was like, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, but we really appreciate it. You know, we tell you what we do for the last uh, 40-something years for me, 40-something years for you that we fished. Hopefully you get something out of it. And, and I say all that to say this. Let's start with topwaters. It's kind of the... Is it, is it the, uh, it, it's like the premier, you feel like such, you feel like Ted Williams, you know, you feel like you're an expert. If you can catch a lot of fish on, on a topwater, it, it's kind of the premier way to catch a fish. It's not easy. It's easy once you get the hang of it. And I get a lot of the same questions. We got this one via, I believe, uh, Instagram. Someone uh, messaged me. Like, man, I throw that top water. I hear about walking the dog. I hear about this and that, letting it settle, letting it sit, then moving it. Um, but but when and where and how? I mean the how we all have our interpretations. But when are you when are you taking out your top water uh foremost? You know, what 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 are the what is the what does the water look like? What does the condition look like? Well, the biggest win is when I really don't care if I catch the fish or not, Mm -hmm. to be honest, be perfectly honest, there are much more effective ways to catch fish than top water. Mm -hmm. Most days. Now there are days when top water just smokes it. I mean, absolutely smokes it. Um, but day in, day out, you can catch more fish on a soft plastic or a plug, a Mm -hmm. sinking plug. They can just eat it easier. They can hit it better than they can a top water to fish top water. You have to want to fish top water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You don't. You generally don't move to top water because you think that's what's going to work the best. Right. Uh, you do it because that's the way you want to fish that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll throw top water all day. You know, even middle of the day when you're really not supposed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally speaking, you you said when early mornings um, before you have the overhead sun, mm-hmm. um, late afternoons. You know, anytime the sun angle is kind of low to the water. Uh, seems to be better. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're the fish are more likely to come up and be in shallower water at those times, and more likely to hit the top water. Uh, used to man, we thought you had to be in knee deep water, you know, maybe Heck waist no. deep water yeah. at the most. You yeah. know, waist deep water to catch fish on top waters. That was our thinking when we first started throwing top mm-hmm. waters way back. Um, the old rebel jumping minnow. Yeah, 
And uh, then over time, we realized, I mean, I've, I've thrown it at the jetties mm-hmm. in 30 feet of water and had a trout come up and blow it up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, everything eats on top from time to time. Uh, when you do that, the jetties, you're taking a real chance of getting you a jackfish. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You better have a lot of top waters. Yeah, have some top waters. Have some spares. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that, that's most of the wind. Um, I kind of like a little chop on the water. I don't mm-hmm. like it to be that dead calm morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dead calm morning, if you're going to throw a top water, throw one that doesn't knock. You know, doesn't have a lot of rattling to it mm-hmm. on a dead, dead calm morning. Uh, it's just too much. Yeah. It's a marching band going across a flat, mm-hmm. especially if you're fishing shallow water. Now, you're fishing deeper water, mm-hmm. throwing a top water from a boat while you're drifting in, you know, six or eight feet of water, and it's dead calm, that might work. Right. You know, make long casts. You know, make good long cast with it. Um, get it out away from the boat. Yeah. And uh, you might stand a chance of pulling something in like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but day in, day out, I'd say when you're wading or up in shallow water mm-hmm. and knee deep to waist deep, somewhere in there, uh, early in the morning, late in the afternoon. And that's that's probably your prime time. If you've never really caught fish on top water right. and you want to try it, those are the times to try it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, there's nothing wrong. I mean, there's times when right in the middle of the day, throwing a, a pink and silver top water mm-hmm. and start working that and on a bright, sunny day and just wear the trout out at noon. I mean, it happens. Right. Uh, you just kind of have to try it and see if it's going to work. Uh, there's some days it looked like it's a perfect day for top waters mm-hmm. and they won't eat it. Uh, fish are weird. You know, they, right. they have their, <laughs> they have what they want to do and mm-hmm. you can't force them to do something else. It's funny you mentioned that, uh, the dead flat water, you don't want to throw the big top water. It's a marching band, etc. It looks the coolest, you know, when it's nice, calm and a fish comes up and blows on up. It's on awesome. That, it if, you look, can, if you can make it happen, if you can make it happen, it looks cool, but you're not, you're not, uh, taping a television show. You know, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. If you were taping a television show, it'd be really cool yeah. to throw that. Um, I, I am lockstep with you on that. Um, the the exception being in the evenings, I like to throw it if it's a little calm. Uh, I don't know why. Maybe it's because I just like uh, the you know to end the day with a nice blow up. You know, you like to fish a top water. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Do you like to fish a top water? Right. And the evening to me is just my favorite time on yep. the water. And if you get a good blow up, I don't even need to hook the fish. Yeah. Which which ties in with the other part that you mentioned. If you enjoy the hunt the most, and you and I do, uh, I, I enjoy figuring out the the conditions and finding the fish. If you enjoy the hunt, but you're not trying to, you know, to, to get a fillet, you know, per yeah. se, or a trophy that necessarily, uh, we're always trying to get trophies, but you, you get my point. Um, when you get a couple of blow ups on a top water, it made my day. It, yeah. it just makes my day to be able to, to fool them. Yeah. You know, it's the grand poopa of baits, uh, and, and it's cool. Um, now the question was when, where, and how, uh, the, when I'm with you, uh, you and I are, are totally in line on, on the top, when to throw top water baits. I like a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, bumpy waterness, you know, because I want to make that noise. Yeah, I've I've had some really good topwater days mm-hmm. on days when it's ripping, mm-hmm. you know, 15, 20 mile an hour winds, and you got chop all over the place, and throwing a big noisy topwater, yeah, and getting blow ups that you can't even see because it's on the backside of a wave. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a really good time to do it. You know, mm-hmm. prefrontal. Yeah, you. But gotta, but a lot of people don't. A lot of people do the exact opposite. Oh, yeah. it, but 
that's man, it's a good time to throw them. Think about why you're throwing a top water in those conditions because the conditions are bad and they're making a lot of noise. And you want we always talk about you want your bait to stand out. That I, I like to throw a popping cork for that same reason. You know, make make it different. Make get get somebody's uh, the fish's attention. Uh, if I was fishing in a tournament, every time I fish in a, a charity tournament or something. It takes a lot for me to throw a topwater because I don't want to lose fish. Right. You when know? I fished the uh, Redfish Cup and we fished the tournaments, the, all the you know the different Redfish tournament mm-hmm. series, the Texas Redfish series, all of them that I fished years ago, I didn't throw a topwater at all because <laughs> you're frustrated because you know that big fish blow up on it and miss it. Yeah, that might cost you ten thousand dollars. Yeah, you know? exactly. and your your hookup ratio is so much better with the soft plastic. Mm-hmm. So. I, Again, it all circles back around to you have to want to throw a topwater. You mm-hmm. have to enjoy it. And it's just like tarpon fishing, man. Uh, tarpon fishing is hard. It, it really is. Mm-hmm. Your success ratio is very, very, very small. Right. I just wrote an article yesterday about it for Texas oh, really? Saltwater Fishing Magazine. It'll be out for the September issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of going over that. Tarpon junkies. Mm-hmm don't really care about landing a tarpon all that much well you talked about it the other day the the, the eight steps i added a couple of steps to yeah. it because you got to take a picture then you got to rub it in my nose yeah uh in my face but uh yeah the, the hunt the jump it's the, it's the hunt yeah. it's getting them to eat and it's the jump mm-hmm. and if you and that's why you hear tarpon guys talk about it all the time yeah i got seven eats i got i jumped three and i leadered one yeah that means they actually landed one fish yeah. all day yeah but they got jumps out of some, they got eats out of some, and it, just watching a tarpon eat is exciting. Mm-hmm. Same thing with topwater. If I get 10 blow-ups, 10 good solid blow-ups in the morning, That's and I land day. one fish. That's a big day. Yeah, I'm good with that. Yeah. I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. But like I said in the beginning, you have to not care whether you want, you're going to catch fish. Mm-hmm. If you're going out with the the whole mindset of, you know, I want my limit, I want my five mm-hmm. fish limit today, top water may not be the right thing to pick that day right but if you go out there with a hey man if i catch a few fish i might take some home mostly mm-hmm. i'm just going to release i just want to have fun that's the days to throw top water and the other exception for me is um uh like like right now you know i'm i'm trying to catch that uh, that 10 pound trout you know during the star tournament uh and so if if i'm in a place where i know i want to catch the fish not just a fish or a bunch of fish um if, if, if they're not hitting on my on my slow sinking plug or whatever, I'll tie on it. And I know I think there's fish there. I'll tie on a top water because I'm trying to catch one big trout, you know, one big fish. Yep. Uh, and and it, there really is something. I, I've caught a ton of big trout on small baits. But, but the big bait does work, man. I mean, they're lazy. Yeah, you've talked about it. I've talked about it. They want the least amount of resistance in terms of filling their belly. Yep. So they want a big bait. So if you're, you know, if you're willing to, to to miss some blowups, but you all you want is that one big trout, I would recommend throwing in any condition water, even even as you mentioned, uh, the the flat water, uh, just trying to catch that one fish. Now you're going to be frustrated. You you're going to miss some, and you might not even get a bite on some, uh, but but that would be probably the best advice there. Uh, I would think anyway. Yeah. Um, one other thing, I I mentioned this when. And we're going to get into the lower coast here, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that, uh, the characteristics and such, uh, breaking down the, the entire lower coast. Uh, they have real clear water down there. I mentioned that when I'm throwing a popping cork or when you're in real clear water, throw whatever you can throw the furthest because you don't want to cast shadows. You don't want to, the little noises on your boat. 
to scare away, you know, trout or fish that are that are relatively close to where you're wading or fishing off your boat or whatever, um, you can throw a, a topwater a mile. Yeah, topwater is probably one of the best ones to mm-hmm. throw at, at any kind of distance. Right. You know, they're like little missiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when your line breaks right at that, yeah, it just that keeps point. Going. It just keeps going. Man, that's <laughs> the best cast I ever made in my life. <laughs> Look at that thing go. Yeah, I got a story about that for South Padre. <laughs> All right, we'll get yeah. to that. But, uh, yeah, as far as where, mm-hmm. you know, you said where, when, when, where, and how. When, where, and how. Um, the where, it can be anywhere, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've caught them on the beachfront. Uh, beachfront's an excellent place to throw topwaters. Uh, early in the morning mm-hmm. on the beach when there's trout around, they will eat the hell out of a topwater. Mm-hmm. Uh, all up and down the jetties. Uh, I've done real well there. Pick a shoreline. You know, any situation, any place that you would stop to fish mm-hmm. uh, is your where. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's specific places that are better for topwaters than others. I think it's more about what the fish are doing, mm-hmm. what the bait's doing. Uh, if the bait's all up on top, and top water might be the thing to do. But there's a big misconception about it. You touched on it. A lot of guys won't throw a top water unless they're waiting and they're on the shoreline. Yeah. And they're right next to the grass. Um, and that is a misconception. I'm yeah. with you. I've thrown them on the jetties myself. Uh, I've thrown them in the middle of the bay on a choppy day. Yeah. Um, if you think there's some big fish or some fish you know, running around there. Uh, so that's why I wanted to address that. Now, the, the million-dollar question is the how. Um, uh, the, the how to me is... <laughs> It's such a cop out, but but I think you'll agree with me. Figure it out, you know. The, figure it out how yeah. you how you, how it fits you. It's like a baseball swing, right? You know, uh, whether you're Jeff Bagwell or you're Ken Griffey Jr., as long as the bat is going through the the strike zone the the, the, the proper way, it doesn't matter what you do otherwise. Like I keep when I throw my top water, I keep my rod tip real real high. You don't. You keep yours lower. It depends on how far out it is. Right. But I'm saying, you know, we yeah. all have our different yeah. batting stances, if you yeah. will. But ultimately, you just want to see the bait and and walking the. How would you describe walking the dog? The nose just kind of bobs. The nose goes side to side. Yeah, you know, it's like doop de doop doop de doop. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's just going side to side. Yeah. Uh, and the way it goes side to side is the the lure is weighted to the rear, mm-hmm. and when you pull it, it makes it go flat. And little, then you give it a tiny bit of slack. Right. Then you give it a little bit of slack after you pull. And that makes it go to the side. Mm-hmm. And then you pull it and it straightens back up. And then you, you quit and it goes to the other side. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you why it goes left, right, left, right. <laughs> but why, it did, does. why didn't it just go right, 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 right every time? <laughs> you know, I mean, if you think about it, it's, it's just on slack line. It's not like you're directing it's it. It's a good point. I mean, I don't direct it left and right, left and right, mm-hmm. but it does it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, every one of them that works good does that. And it's a rhythm. And I mean, we've talked about it before with mm-hmm. Mary had a little lamb, whatever's yep. in your head, you know, something, dun, 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 dun. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a, something that's rhythmic in your head that, that makes you work that lure. Right. Uh, you know, it's that, a cadence. Yeah. There's a certain cadence to it mm-hmm. and it's different, different days. And some it's different days, for different people. They want to, they, uh, some days the trout want it moving really quick, mm-hmm. short, and it, it goes side to side, not very far. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's just boom, 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 just really quick. And there's other days when you're just kind of lazy in it and doing it real slow. Let it sit. And it'll it'll slide sideways. And as soon I like it as soon as it quits sliding sideways to pop it back the other way. Mm-hmm. I don't like to let it sit for too long. I've I've seen too many fish from my polling platform when mm-hmm. people leave a bait sitting mm-hmm. that'll swim up behind it and they're interested in it. And I'll say, Hey, he's following, it, he's following it. Well, they stop it because I say he's following it and they'll lose interest. Mm-hmm. Those fish 
turn, lose interest really quick and turn around and swim off. Right. Uh, you got to tease them in. You got you to work them like a cat. And mm-hmm. I mean, cat playing with a ball. Right. It, they, redfish in particular will lose interest really mm-hmm. fast. Uh, so I don't like to let it stop. I don't, I don't want them to be able to see it that right. well. I want them just to, to react. You want it to be a distressed fish. That's right. the whole concept is that, 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 that bait fish is stressed, is, is yep. distressed. And so, yeah, you, you, you can go sideways as long as it's moving like it's struggling to breathe, you know, or, yep. or, or to stay alive, to swim uh, the way it normally would. Um, and then you also hear what you just said, you know, work it. And if you get a blow up or something uh, looks at it, you know, from behind it or whatever, to, to let it rest. I, I, that's also another figure it out almost. And yeah. I don't mean to cop out because sometimes yeah. that'll work. I've, I've heard people do yeah. it and yeah. it works from time to time. It's just never worked for me, mm-hmm. and I just I just don't want to do it hardly. Right. I I want it, if I get that blow up, I'll pause it and let it float back to the top. That's exactly. usually the blow up pulls it under. Right. And that big swirl, and then I let it pop back up. And when it pops back up, I'm moving it immediately because mm-hmm. in my mind that fish just got you know just popped a he bait fish. Yeah. He knocked the hell out of it. It went down and it just kind of floated up to the top, and then it's trying to struggle to get away. Mm-hmm. He's gonna spin back around and eat it. Right. Uh, Whereas if it just floats up to the top and sits there, a lot of times it's just not natural. Yeah. There's yeah. there's nothing natural. Nothing out there commits suicide. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, so there's no reason for it to just to stop in front of a predator. It. That's that's always been my reasoning. Right. I mean, a gazelle running across the plains does not yeah. stop. Yeah. When hey, the lion's chasing it. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't just stop out there and go, I'm going to rest for a minute. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, everything in nature is trying to survive. Mm -hmm. And the way that that little bait fish is going to try to survive is to get the hell out of there after he's been smacked. So I want my lure to to look natural. Totally agree. And yeah, I mean, I I guess I could see it if it sat still uh, on occasion. But I, I've, caught, really I've, I've caught fish, um, and maybe it was just dumb luck after a blow up, letting it sit. Um, yeah. But generally, I, I I do subscribe to that theory. You and I are, are, are lockstep on topwaters. I, I feel like once I see it back up, or or once he he uh, blows up, she blows up on it. Uh, I'll just try to make it look like it's really trying to. It's really trying to you know just oh my gosh I'm on my last breath here I need to get away. Uh, that that to me is the concept. I think some of that when it does eat after a pause like mm-hmm. that, there's, there's waves. There's still movement that, that Could lure be. is not sitting dead still. Yeah. You know, not like on a bass pond and, and bass fishing. That's, that's one of the best techniques mm-hmm. is let it sit, let it sit. And when you think you said it long enough, wait, mm-hmm. wait a little bit more and then twitch it and then let it sit. It works on bass, mm-hmm. but bass are more of an ambush feeder from structure. Right. Uh, our fish are more cruising. Mm-hmm. You know, they're out there doing things. They're faster. They're faster in mm-hmm. uh, the saltwater environment. They're not top dog. Right. Yeah, I think that's a big part of the difference mm-hmm. is our trout and redfish get eaten. You know, they get eaten by yeah. other stuff, yeah. dolphins and sharks and everything. Mm-hmm. Whereas a bass, he's pretty much the top end predator once they get above a certain size. So he doesn't have to worry. Yeah, he's not worried about <laughs> looking over his shoulder, and he doesn't have to hurry up and eat that meal and get the hell out of there. Mm-hmm. All right, so red snapper season closed earlier than expected this year. Texas Parks and Wildlife uh, announced it a couple of weeks in advance. It was supposed to last 97 days beginning on June 1st. Uh, It closed 
August 1st, essentially. They said 12.01 a.m. August 2nd, but that's basically the, the end of August 1st after only 62 days. All right, so. And if somebody from Parks and Wildlife listens to this. Yeah. Y'all need to straighten that out because <laughs> that's going to catch somebody. Say 11.59 p.m. on right. the first or so, the second. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's going to end you know, and make it clear because I guarantee you there's going to be guys out there on August 2nd yeah. running out busting the jetties. I have till noon. Yeah. No, you or don't. noon or midnight. A.M., not p.m. I, I have till midnight. You <laughs> yeah. know, I mean, it's August 2nd. It yeah. says it closes August 2nd. Yeah. Yeah, that – that's a little sketchy <laughs> and uh, i got a funny feeling there's gonna be some people get caught short on that uh, one. i think there was so 35 days earlier than expected that's what i want to talk about first and then i want to talk about you know people still want you know it, it's still snapper season man but you can only go up nine miles offshore in in texas state waters some of your your thoughts on that but 35 days before it was supposed to we have a healthy red snapper population. Yeah, it's plenty healthy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you say it, it closed earlier than expected. It's, it closed about when I expected it to. Is that right? Yeah, and I figured, well, it, earlier I figured than it was going to be around. Much earlier than announced. Mm-hmm. That was kind of like saying, okay, we have all this to work with, mm-hmm. uh, but you know that's not going to go all the way to the end. Uh, it's, it just won't. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, what it means is uh, that, you know, the, 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 a lot of red snapper were caught, uh, it also means that uh, that's a healthy population, and it also means if you want to catch red snapper, and boy, they're they're delicious, man. Um, what do you do? You got to go in 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 uh, state waters, nine miles out. What what's what's your strategy? Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida. You know, you can go out to nine miles. I believe they're all the state waters are about the same there. Uh, it's different for different states. Is it? Uh, yeah. It. it it varies. Quite okay, a bit. so but in Texas it's nine miles, yeah. uh, nine nautical miles from from shoreline. I I'm just going to be totally ignorant here. I don't know where to catch fish within nine miles. Red snapper within nine miles. I can get you to some short rigs and try to catch some trout. Uh, but I but yeah. nine miles. What do you, what do you what what are you telling our listeners that want to still catch some? Any kind of structure that's out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, CCA and Parks and Wildlife have put a lot of mm-hmm. uh, man-made reefs out. Uh, some of the best ones are right there off South Padre. They're really close in, and they have got a group down there that um, when I was down there fishing here not long ago, fishing the ship channel for, mm-hmm. for snook, mm-hmm. uh, there's docks over there that are just stacked with uh, concrete railroad ties, mm. uh, these concrete pyramids, all this different stuff that they're taking out there, and, and it's all private money. Yeah, uh, It's all you know being raised, mm-hmm. uh, nonprofit money it, it's coming together and they've got a few guys that are spearheading it that are awesome with it right and they get barges and cranes and they go out there and they put this stuff in place uh, you can't just go dump something <laughs> yeah you have to have permits you yeah. have to it has to be approved there's a process involved uh, there's one off of Port O'Connor that has been completed in the last couple of years mm-hmm. uh, yeah there's there's a Facebook page about it uh, about the Texas inshore reefs. Right. I forgot what the name of it is exactly, but uh, it gives you coordinates. Uh, it gives That's you the GPS coordinates gonna... to the outside edges. You know, mm-hmm. it's a big square rectangle area, mm-hmm. and it'll give you the center of it, and it'll give you the four corners. And you can mark it off on your GPS, and you can go out there and start looking. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. So there's that. There's oil rigs. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's shrimp boats that are wrecked out there. Um, I've got some numbers 
that are private. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> that uh, that are shrimp boats. Mm-hmm. You know, or old shrimp boats, some kind of old boat, and uh, you know, it just comes from friends finding them or knowing about them or mm-hmm. hand me down from generations. Uh, and those little spots like that are the hidden gems. Right. If you get into those kind of places, you've got them to yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're, they're highly protected. Uh, so by you. By anybody. <laughs> anybody who has possession of one of those sets of numbers <laughs> you know, would just as soon not let it out. Um, and they're all up and down the coast. They're mm-hmm. everywhere. Uh, there was a, a deal a while back that it was all the shrimpers up and down the coast reported snags. I'm sure they still do. And somebody gathered all that information together and mm-hmm. put out a book that had all the every snag. Mm-hmm. Every time a shrimper snagged their net, which is important to them to let other shrimpers exactly. know. And so they would mark it. And over time, it put together a interesting set of numbers mm-hmm. for the Gulf of Mexico, which our, the problem is our, our bay, our, our Gulf is basically flat. Right. I mean, it's, it has a gentle slope going off to it. It doesn't drop quickly like Florida. Or, so, oh, you can you know, see land in Florida yeah. and being 200 feet away. Right. I mean, it, yeah. I've caught sailfish while I could still see bikinis on the beach in yeah. Florida. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you not that you were looking. No, I mean, it just happened, <laughs> yeah. you know, they were there, mm-hmm. but, uh, I think it was my father-in-law that pointed it out to me. So yeah, well, good for him. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. uh, but here, I mean, you got to get some distance out there to start getting any kind of depth, especially mm-hmm. on the upper coast. Right. Uh, so if I was going to, I was just going to yeah, ask you about, if that, I was but, looking for going right. state water snapper, I mm-hmm. still had that in my head. I want to go catch some snapper. I'm not done yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would start with Matagorda and work my way south from you're there. Talking maybe West free, Matagord is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. Uh, Freeport, maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, there's some rigs and stuff that are out of Freeport that I'm not sure exactly how far they are. It's been years since I've did, you know, been out there. Right. But anything inside that nine miles is fair game. Right. So, and, but here's something else. Pay close attention to your nine miles. They're, oh, they'll get on the your game wardens. They'll get on your, your GPS. Yeah. And, well, they'll get on your GPS, but they've also got radar. Oh, sure. And I watched them quite a few times this year during snapper season on weekends, sitting at the end of the jetties at Port O'Connor with that radar going, mm-hmm. and then popping people as they came back in from offshore snapper fishing. They they right. watched them all the way back in, mm-hmm. so they know where you've been. They can see, you know, how far out you've been. So don't try to push it. Just stay inside those nine miles. All those state reefs that are being put in uh, all up and down the coast, they're all within state waters. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what they, that's the way they set them up. That's the way they wanted it. Um, and that ranges from those concrete pyramids mm-hmm. to the concrete railroad ties to old ships. Right. You know, they've sunk barges. They've, you know, all kinds of things. The eventual thing, talking to John Blaha uh, with CCA, their dream is to have a solid reef all the way, all the way up the Texas coast. Yeah. Have it all interconnected. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not touching, you know, exactly, but all the way up the coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be really cool if we could pull that off. That'd be really cool. Can you imagine how many snapper would be out there? My goodness. I mean, it would be incredible. The but other, yeah, I would start there. If you really want to get it done, uh, there's a kid down South Padre named Andy Salinas mm-hmm. that I've fished with. And he's got a 
couple spots right there, not far from the jetties. I mean, you can go bay fishing with him. You, mm-hmm. can, you can go up there and catch some trout and reds mm-hmm. and maybe a snook or two and then run out through the jetties and go out there and be in really deep water right over the one of those little reefs, and you can pop your, your snapper limit real quick and turn around and come back. That's crazy. And one other thing here, because someone like me who does mostly bay fishing, uh, if I were to go out, the – the the information available is incredible and i would recommend if you want to catch some snapper or if you want to go offshore in state waters and to where some artificial reefs are uh there is an interactive map uh that texas parks and wildlife has done that is freaking outstanding now you're not going to have the the, the the scott null secret you know shipwrecks uh you know and all that stuff but i'm looking at it right now just do a search for uh TPWD, Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, artificial reefs. And you can scroll over every one of these. And the, and the key element to the this thing is you can scroll over one of these stars that, that's on here. The key element is it says distance from port in nautical miles. The one I'm on right now says 46.54 miles. Well, that ain't going to work, is it? Uh, but I've counted 12. Well, the difference there is that's from port. That's not directly from the beach. No, I understand. I'm just yeah. saying, but I'm saying that right. would be clearly, you yeah. know. It, I mean, if it's it, way out yeah. there, you know, it's well but, beyond. But some of them that I run to, mm-hmm. I may run 20, 25 miles, but I'm still in state waters. Yes. I'm just running down the coast. Yes. And, and so, but anyway, this interactive ma- uh, map, uh, you can scroll over it. Here's one, you know, 8.81 miles. And then you scroll to the next one, 18 miles. That's probably good. That's probably in, in state waters, depending on where uh, the beach is, because the port is different. So if you're really, even if you're just a novice offshore fisherman, um, old salts who spent their lifetimes trying to find all these things and shipwrecks and, and there weren't a lot of artificial reefs, it'll drive them nuts. But you're cheating. I mean, you, oh, it's you, all right you, there for you. You're cheating. It's it's right there. It's it's ready for you. And it's at your fingertips. And a lot of these are within the 9 to, to 15 miles from port, which is probably uh, 9 miles uh, within that 9 miles thing. So it's TPWD. Uh, and you can search artificial reefs on that, uh, and it'll give you the coordinates. Everything the coordinates oh, into your uh, GPS. Let and me, go. I'll give you one right here. I mean, it, it has the reef name. Uh, the the name of this reef is Brazos A four thirty nine. It's nineteen miles from port, and has the 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 coordinates. I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's right there for you. Hey, when I started offshore fishing, we had a paper map. Yeah. That had rigs on it. And that's all we really fished was rigs because mm-hmm. we didn't have a depth finder. We couldn't find something that was mm-hmm. submerged mm-hmm. and uh, a compass. Oh. And oh, that's sure. how we ran off of the, you know, we ran out of Freeport or mm-hmm. Galveston jetties, me and dad and mom. We just take off. And right. Later on, me and my buddies, and we'd, point it in that direction and <laughs> head out there it. and hope that we hit into that rig you know as we got closer we could we could adjust a maybe little eyeball and, it and yeah. eyeball it and come yeah. into it or sometimes those rigs were missing when you got there <laughs> you know you had this wait a minute there was supposed to be a rig right in here i know it was supposed to be right i used to come to this rig yeah and it's not here anymore you know they dismantle them take yeah. them down every oh, once yeah. in a while oh, yeah. but uh, yeah then the real trick was getting back and hitting the jetties mm-hmm. coming back oh lord because after you've run around out there for a while, you've rig hopped, mm-hmm. you've been to 15 or 20 different little spots along there, and you, you checked out all these different rigs, and you've trolled for a while. Now your course which way back. Is up? Which way is up? <laughs> well, you know generally which way's back to the port. Hopefully you do. Yeah. But knowing exactly where the mouth of the jetties is, yeah, those, you might have to run those the shoreline. Those free port jetties are pretty short, yeah. and they're pretty tight. 
being able to run and hit those jetties with somewhat of an accuracy was a, a it was a learned skill. And, uh, <laughs> and sometimes you didn't Sometimes learn. you missed. <laughs> you know, I remember one day coming back, I thought I had it, mm-hmm. and I, I was at the wrong rig. I looked at my map, and I said, okay, I need this heading to get back to the jetties. Yeah. It, it, That's easy to do. Oh, yeah, this is real easy. This is going to mm-hmm. be a – this is a straight shot. I'm, I'm at this rig. I need to follow this heading, and I'll be right on the – you know, I'll be on the jetties at Freeport. Mm-hmm. And as we're running, the first thing we can see that we're heading right straight to is the San Luis Pass Bridge. <laughs> I'm just a little bit off. But at that point, then I knew I needed to go left. Uh, I, need you to, know, so, I need to take a left here, boys. Yeah, so I started veering left. And sure enough, then I saw the, the big bridge down there at Freeport, and I picked it all up. It's so weird the way we used to just eyeball things and oh, yeah. landmarks. I mean, it's it's really – And I still do it. I, yeah, I but you also it. have a backup plan at your fingertips. Right. I mean, back then you're like, I think that's it, yeah. or the Blue House, or the or this bridge, or this uh, landmark. There was a you know a crane or something. You know that right. was always there. It was, it, it's really kind of crazy the things we used to do. All right, so uh, the next three weeks, starting today, uh, we're going to look and, and do a, a deep dive, uh, dig in to the lower coast, and then the middle coast, and then the upper coast, because you know we get a lot of people listening from all different areas. And we're not, we're just going to tell you, like, if you if you want to go fishing in the lower coast, a lot of people who are in the lower coast are already going to know a lot of these things. They might not know some of these things because we're getting in experts, guides from each of these areas. The lower coast, we're going to start with Captain Scott, who knows it uh, quite well. He knows the whole Texas coast. But um, I want to ask you, like the lower coast, we'll start with the most basic thing. How is it different from the middle coast and, and the upper coast in Texas? I'm not going to say I'm an expert down there because I don't get to go down there as much as I'd like to. Mm-hmm. I have fished it a lot. Uh, back in the 80s, I fished down there a lot, a mm-hmm. whole, whole lot uh, before I had kids. Mm-hmm. You know, I could break free and take off and go down there without yeah. without having any problems back at home. But uh, And we'd go down, Camille and I would go down and spend a week, mm-hmm. nine days down there at times. Uh, at least once a year we'd do that. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I do know it pretty well, and uh, I'm not up to current things that are going on, mm-hmm. you know, like last week right. as much. Uh, I do talk to some people down there. Uh, you know, if you really want to get down there and do it, uh, I've got a list of guides. Send me a message, right. and I'll put you on with somebody out of Mansfield or Port Isabel. Um, but generally speaking, it is miles and miles and miles and miles of very shallow water. Mm-hmm. When I first started fishing down there, I fished with uh, Terry Neal, a great guide. Um, He's the first one who got me fly fishing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Terry's deal was always, if your knees are getting wet down here, you're fishing too deep. Right. And he fished really shallow water all the time. And he caught a lot of fish, a lot of big fish. Uh, That's changed somewhat over the years with the shallow running boats. Mm -hmm. I think burning a little bit too much Mm -hmm. has changed the way they act. And they don't stay up shallow quite as much. Okay. They'll be up there early. They're up there late. Uh, but when the boats start moving around, I think they drop off a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hear a whole lot more about people fishing a little bit deeper water uh, along the edge of the intercoastal and things like that. Mm-hmm. But overall, the the most fun way to fish down there, that's a sight casting person's dream. Uh, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's crystal clear water most of the time. There's... Uh, not just the shoal grass like we have on the middle coast. They've got eel grass when you get down that far. Right. And it looks like St. Augustine lawn in places. 
uh, and then there's big sandy potholes and the fish hang out around the edges of those potholes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a different environment. It's more Florida-like. Yes. Uh, is A lot of snook down there. There's snook. Uh, as we know from Captain Wayne, there's some tarpon that mm-hmm. are hanging out in the bays more now. Uh, I talked to one of my guys that's coming to tarpon fish with me was tarpon fishing down there, mm-hmm. and they were running up and down the arroyo uh, and casting to juvenile tarpon up in the arroyo. Man. Uh, so we, you know, the tarpon really come back strong down there. Uh, the snook population is incredible. Uh, Ernest Cisneros is world class mm-hmm. on catching snook. Mm-hmm. Uh, his son Aaron is also guiding now. Uh, Brian Barrera, uh, he's another one. Uh, those guys know those snook, mm-hmm. and they can put you on them. Uh, those those are the people that I would you know send you to if you wanted to go right. down there and do it. Um, the fishing is, it's incredible. I mean, you can, mm-hmm. like I talked about last last time on the snapper, mm-hmm. um, you can go within sight of the beach and catch snapper. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can catch tarpon at the jetties. You can catch tarpon up in the ship channel. You can catch snook. I've caught a barracuda up in the ship channel. Right. Um, it's a different kind of world down there. Clear in, water. Very South Padre. You know, the south end down that way. Mm-hmm. Um Port Mansfield, same same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Not as much of the uh, the deep water stuff. Uh, they're it's going to happen because they're they're uh, dredging the channel back. Right. It's gotten from what I gather. I hadn't been down there in a while. It had gotten pretty silted up mm-hmm. and was getting a little treacherous getting in and out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's being it's they're they're dredging it. Right, uh, they're going to dredge it out. So that'll help. Uh, back in the day when I was going down there, that was a big thing for us. We'd run out through the jetties, run out and go catch kingfish at the end of the jetties throwing mirror mm-hmm. lures. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that'll that'll come back. That'll be another option for the guys out of there. I would consider even like from the causeway at Corpus Christi going over to Padre well, Island. Well, I was just the, – the official boundaries for the star tournament are from Bob Hall Pier – which is, uh, I guess that's, is that Port Aransas? Yeah, that's Port Aransas. Port Aransas all the way down to, uh, all the way down to South Padre Island. So then it goes up, uh, the John F. Kennedy Causeway is kind of the boundary from the lower coast. But what do you think? Yeah, JFK Causeway is what yeah. I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as far as a boundary in my mind. Everything what, there what's south. South Padre, mm-hmm. you know, or what is Lower Laguna Madre mm-hmm. uh, is that. Right. Uh, Baffin is included in that. Baffin is its own animal. It really is. It is compu- it's not the shallow, grassy, flat, mm-hmm. clear water that the rest of the Laguna Madre is. It's deeper water. It's got the the rocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it's a different kind of place. Uh, there's guys that fish Baffin, and there's guys that fish the flats of Laguna Madre. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's different. They're different. It's mm-hmm. a completely different kind of thing. Um, I've got people that fish there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Marcus Canales is awesome with Baffin. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, if, if you've got an idea of where you want to fish out of uh, and you, you want to look for a guide mm-hmm. uh, that fishes, you know, the way you want to fish, let me know and, and we'll get we'll get it worked out. We'll figure it out. Right. Uh, places to stay, all those kind of things. I've, I've been doing it for a long time. There's a lot of houses for rent down there, mm-hmm. condos for rent. Uh, it's really a fairly easy trip to make. Mm-hmm. It seems daunting if you're up in the Galveston area 
fucked up. Oh man, no, I, it's, you I can, don't know people down yeah. there. I don't know where I'd be going. I don't know anything. Uh, they're fishermen, and they'll help you out down there. Well, that's where I learned. I mean, I grew up yeah. with, with with my dad. You know, growing up in San Antonio, we'd go down. Aransas Pass, and then further south, uh, all through there, you know, Mustang Island, I think, is in the lower coast, or maybe it's in the middle, but anyway. Middle. More middle. More middle, but we'd go uh, down there all the time, and, and and one of the things I want to talk to you about is is just the characteristics are different. I mean, it, it, you know, if, if you fish here regularly, and I did this recently, and I grew up fishing for 20 years down there, uh, but recently I went down uh, with some buddies uh, to Port Aransas, I believe, um, and, and I was taken back by how you know the water the way the water looks the clarity um and, and it's was, literally gin clear it times. is gin clear and on this day it was not quite gin clear and i and i was raving uh, to my buddy about how, how clear the water was he goes this is dirty yeah <laughs> and it actually works to your advantage if it's a little dirty down there mm-hmm. yeah if it's got a little bit of silt to it yeah uh, from some wind and that's the other thing one of the other big characteristics down there uh, there's not much tide movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you are dependent upon the wind. Uh, and, and down there, you know, they, they like having some wind right. to, to ruffle things up a little bit and push some water around, push some bait around. Uh, it stacks the bait in places. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they want wind. And we've talked about the, the wind tide, how to read them. Yeah. And you have to know it down there. Mm-hmm. You better, better figure it out pretty quick. Um, but that's the general thing on it. Uh, I would go with maybe smaller lures mm-hmm. somewhat and a uh, little less color to them. A little clearer. A little clearer. Mm-hmm. Uh, just in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, anything's liable to work at different times. I mean, if you listen to the podcast, we, yeah. we've given you, and we, we always talk about like different things to try in different situations. But just in general, I'm with you. One uh, of my favorites down there when I was going a whole lot and throwing soft plastics mm-hmm. and you know, we throw topwaters in the morning and turn to soft plastics. I threw a glow with a chartreuse tail. Mm. Threw it all the time, mm-hmm. paddle tail, and just wore the fish out on it. And it's uh, it, it's it's unique down there. I mean, it's a different kind of uh, just feel. Uh, I absolutely love it. I would have moved down there. Yeah. I mean, we were looking at places. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a little too far from Houston. Mm-hmm. You know, to have the grandkids up here and yeah. and all that. It, it's it's a haul to get down there from up here. I'd probably throw uh, more shrimp, right? Six, shrimp invitations. Yeah. Oh yeah. Down there for sight casting. Yeah. I would, I'd go with that DOA shrimp mm-hmm. in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Uh, the DOA guys, I was supposed to go down and fish with them here when they were down a few weeks ago. Right. And, uh, they were throwing the new snake oil mm. or snake coil. Yeah. What do you call it? It's S A N K O I L. Okay. And, uh, it's a, it looks like a bass worm with a snake head oh, on it. Oh, I, I saw you. Uh, did I mean, Either you or somebody was uh, uh, tweeting about it or Facebook. i tell you what, man. Mm-hmm. For a sight casting lure, it's really, really good. Yeah. Uh, it looks like an eel going across the bottom. Mm-hmm. And I've caught trout, snook, and reds on it. And uh, I'm sure flounder would eat the hell you out of it. You work it the same? I just kind of crawl it, mm-hmm. you know, just swimming it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen it. It wiggles, it. it turns, it twists, it does all kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and it gets some attention. Right, big big trout down there in Lower Coast. Man. Yeah, there's they've got some big trout down there. Yeah, um, you know they went to the five fish limit way way early. Mm-hmm. You know, they were the first area to do it, mm-hmm. and I think it's helped a lot. Um, now, depends on who you're talking to down there. Uh, some of the old timers will tell you that it's not anywhere near what it used to be. On oh, the there were thirteen fish. pound trout down there. And, yeah, 
there's been a but it went way down now there's been a little bit of a resurgence mm-hmm. i'm not sure exactly where all that stands it just like i said depends on who you talk to mm-hmm. i see a hell of a lot of big trout being caught down there yeah well you can look at star leaderboard yeah i mean and you see it yeah and just the guide buddies of mine that mm-hmm. that i know down there and i see their pictures and how many really solid trout that they catch right uh, and sight cast too with yeah. lures well, that, that, you know, so that's the lower coast, uh, the characteristics, uh, you know, that make it unique, the boundaries and, and some of the things that you might, the generalities of, of how you, if you're going down there, uh, you might approach it and what you fish with. It's different than up in the middle coast or, or definitely in the upper coast. Want to get to this for sure. Um, recently, um, the, there was a leaked report, a stock report uh, out of Louisiana. And God bless you, Louisianans. I, I fished on your waters for years and years and years out of, when I was going out of uh, Sabine. It just boggled my mind, uh, the limits and the size limits that they have there. And I'm like, how does it work? I mean, how do they make it work in Louisiana? You know, fisherman's paradise, outdoorman's paradise. I get oh, yeah. it. And people kept pointing to it saying, man, if Louisiana can do it, we could do it. Right. Well, um, you may want to brace yourself for this. There was a leaked... Uh, Louisiana fishing game, uh, stock report. Uh, and this was dated, uh, it was last, last month, uh, is when it was, uh, actually it's just been updated. So, uh, yeah, in the last month they've dated this. So these are the figures and the, and, and what we can learn from this, I want to, I want to talk to you about it, Scott. So they were talking about the spawning stock biomass, uh, the, the weight of speckled trout in Louisiana waters, um, the, the estimates of tra- reproducing trout, um, et cetera, et cetera. So this was an in-house thing that somehow got out in the public and it ain't good, man. I mean, it, it, it's not good since 20, since 2000. All right. Um, the trout was, uh, the trout was as high as an estimated, uh, has gone down by an estimated 11 million pounds since 2000. Uh, the estimates are that the number of reproducing trout has dropped steeply since t- 2013 to approximately 3 million pounds. So it's gone from 11 million pounds, uh, no, excuse me, 15 million, little, almost 15 million pounds to 3 million pounds. It's dropped 11 million pounds of uh, stock. Yeah, and what we're talking about there is biomass. Yes. And that's just the total weight of all the available fish that are of spawning age, mm-hmm. 12 inches and longer. Um that's a lot of fish. A I mean, lot that, of fish. <laughs> that is a huge, huge dip. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you just look at the percentage of that, it's insane. Um, I know a lot of people over there that fish a whole lot, mm-hmm. and they've been quietly complaining about this for a while now. Uh, places like Grand Isle, traditional places where you could go out and catch 100 trout mm-hmm. in an afternoon, uh, they're just not seeing them. They're not catching them like they used to. Uh some of it was blamed on the fresh water. You know, we've had some big floods and all that. I honestly, I think it's just overfishing and it's crashing. This goes back to 2000 and, and 2010. You know, some yep. of these reports. So that was before a lot of this fresh right. water stuff. What we're what we're learning here though is th- their limits need to change. You know, I know they're going. People going to fight it. Uh, we oh, yeah, fought, the, the Cajuns over there are not going to like having yeah. their limits drop. They're going to fight it. And the limits, as I remember them most recently, I believe, are 12-inch trout, and you can keep 20. 20 or 25. Something like that. I think it was 25. Yeah, it might be 25, 
And the flounder, I mean, they, they literally call them potato chips. Yeah, they, they, they would keep the smallest little flounder. They'd get excited about them. Yeah. I'm, I'm just kind of shaking my head. I don't even want to clean that little thing. And uh, that's a, that's an awful, awful lot of uh, fish that they're, they're pulling out of there. And this leak report shows one other thing here. Uh, in surveying recreational, now this is not commercial, recreational landings of speckled trout. All right. In 2012, recreational anglers caught eight and a half million pounds of trout. In 2018, they caught three million pounds of trout. So five million pounds of trout less in a span of six years. It goes right along with that other number. Man, man, that is crazy. In 2001, statistics suggested that the proportion of trout three years old or better uh, was at a high of an estimated 22%. So so 22% of the trout were three years old or better. 2018, 3%. It's it's awful right now in Louisiana. Yeah. That's, that is a sure sign of overfishing. That is yeah, incredible. That, I, there's no other way that you can frame that. Right. Uh, they've been doing it for a long, long time, and... Like so, guys like me and you, we sat over here and went, "How in the world can mm-hmm. they pull that off?" Well, their answer was always, "Man, we've got all this marsh, we've got all these marshes, and and our nurseries are just so much better than everywhere else up and down the coast." Mm-hmm. And at the time, they probably were twenty years ago, twenty five years ago. Uh, they've lost a lot of marsh. Mm-hmm. I've I go over there and fish all the time, and I've watched islands disappear over there. Oh in yeah, the marsh. Oh yeah, uh, entire shorelines. Uh, there was one place I used to love back in there. It was more or less a cove. Mm-hmm. And it was almost kind of like a lake. It was off off to its own. And now it's an open cove to an open bay and gets pounded right. anytime there's a west wind. Uh, yeah, they're losing tons and tons of marsh mm-hmm. every day over there. And uh, with that goes the production. And the production and the just overfishing complicates keeping too many of these fish mm-hmm. and along with the degrading habitat is going to lead to less fish and and it's so it's not what, hard to figure out what you and i are saying is you know i get i get you know hey you're trying to take away something if 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 you don't allow the limits to go down and the size limits to go up you're taking away something it, it isn't government it isn't you know yeah. louisiana parks and wildlife it, it's you so you can catch you know five more 12 inch trout in 20, 25 years, there ain't going to be any. And that's not an exaggeration. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's going to be it's going to be incredibly hard to catch a trout. We know what happened with the redfish population in Texas back in the day. Yeah. And so, I mean, I don't know what we're, you know, we wanted to talk about this, and, and I don't want to be preachy or anything. I just want to, you know, kind of throw it out there. You know, we have a lot of listeners in Louisiana. Um, think about it. That's think about the future. Just, just think yeah, about it. Just think just, about the future yeah. of your fishery. That's mm-hmm. that's what you need to really think. Mm-hmm. Do you want your kids to enjoy what you've enjoyed? Right. Uh, do you want your grandkids to enjoy what you've enjoyed? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you're my age and you lived in Louisiana, you got to see the golden age of trout fishing. You yep. got to go out there and catch a hundred trout in an mm-hmm. afternoon. Uh, don't you want your grandkids to be able to do that too? Right. Uh, so how about let's just be a little more conservative. We don't have to eat all those fish, right? You know, it's it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not starving. You know, <laughs> you're going to eat. We're not a we're not a third world country where you, you're yeah. going to fish for subsistence. Yeah, uh, we're fishing for fun, mm-hmm. and it's fun to go out and catch a bunch of fish. 
let them go. Let some of them go and, yeah. and let future generations enjoy the same thing that you enjoyed. And I'll give you just one more good example. I mean, I said, I you know, I've, I spent, I want to say six years based out of Sabine fishing and loved it. And then I saw firsthand, you know, the numbers going down, the size going down. And I kind of moved my, you know, so-called base of operation uh, over here toward uh, Sergeant in East Matagorda. Well, in the six years that I've gone, they've reduced limits down here. Right. They've been more aware of uh, of catch and release. There's 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 been more picture taking and less uh, fillet knifing. Um, and in the in the six years that I was, you know, because I would still fish here every once in a while. Don't get me wrong, but in the time that I've been more at East Matagorda Bay and West Matagorda Bay and further south, I've seen it firsthand in six years how many more big good fish we're catching down there. And that you know why? Because they did that. They they were a little more people that in, in, in the middle to lower coast in Texas are much more aware of catch and release. Take a picture and let it go. Uh, keep only a couple, uh, and the numbers and sizes are are just going through the roof. And it it ends up being less of a pyramid. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a very sharp pyramid in some places. Yeah, you know, there's a few big trout at the very top of it, and a whole lot of little trout at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's kind of where Louisiana has been. Mm-hmm. Uh, what it does is it squares off that pyramid a little bit. You got a lot more big fish that are surviving, mm-hmm. and when you have a five fish limit with one over twenty five, yeah, um, I'd like to see that honestly go to a tag system like the redfish. Mm. Uh, you know. You don't need to keep one twenty-five inch fish every day. Yeah, you know that was put in there for a trophy, you know, for the best fish you've ever caught. Right, you know, for one big fish. Uh, so give them a couple of them a year, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like on redfish, you have a tag, like a you, buck. You get to keep one, <laughs> and then you turn the tag in. You get to keep a second one. They'll yeah. send you another tag. Yeah, and you catch. Say that 27-inch fish is the biggest fish you've ever caught and you want to keep it and bring it home and show it off and have it mounted, which honestly having it mounted, is you're better off with a fiberglass. Fiberglass, yeah. Re, you know, that's a whole nother Measure debate. it, let it go. Measure it, let it go, and yeah. you take pictures and you do a fiberglass mount that will last 10 times yeah. longer than a skin mount and look better. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a whole nother argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they're – man – just let them go. Let them go. Yeah, I mean, when it all when it all I boils down fish, to, I want to fish Sabine some more, man. Yeah, you know, what, <laughs> what it all boils down to is how much did you enjoy catching that big fish? Yep. Did you really get a kick out of catching that twenty nine inch fish? You're darn right, man. I did. Mm-hmm. I man, I finally broke thirty. Mm-hmm. Whatever your number is, whatever that number is in your head, twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty, thirty one, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Think about how you felt in that moment when you laid hands on that fish. Yeah. Okay. You keep that fish. Nobody else ever gets to touch that fish again mm-hmm. to catch it. You release it, and I hear people all the time, well, most of them die anyway. They really don't. They don't. They're, they don't very, they're, they're pretty tough. Very tough. They're a lot tougher than you I sent you that are. picture of that one trout I caught that had a big chunk missing yeah. out of his back because some dolphin or something. Yeah, as, long as, you don't, <laughs> as long as you don't jack them up, throw them in the boat, and lay them on the deck yeah. and on a hot deck in August, Yeah, keep your hands wet and mm-hmm. treat them right and properly release them after a couple photos, they're going to survive. Yeah. And now that fish is still swimming around out there. And it's not just for breeding. Mm-hmm. You know, I hear the argument against the breeding all the time. Oh, the little fish breed more than the big fish anyway. Mm-hmm. To me, it's not about the breeding as much as it is about now that fish is still out there 
and you get an opportunity at it and you get to have that same feeling that I yeah. got, we can reuse that fish, recycle that fish, if you will, mm-hmm. through five, 10, 15 anglers. Of course, that fish is going to get smarter every time it gets caught it's too. Fine. And <laughs> fine. so he gets a little smarter. And when he gets caught at 28, he may not get caught again until he's 32. Okay. He may be, caught, I'll be there. Maybe when he's 36 <laughs> and he there. may be the state record. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Know? I mean, how, how are we going to get a new state record? Mm-hmm. That that's going to be a 36, 37 inch fish. Right. And the only way they can get there is if they don't go on ice when they're 26, right. and 27 and 28. Inches. And they are out there. Yeah, those fish are out they there. They are out there. Um, and, and one other thing, just real quick, there's a really good feeling I get when I let go of a good 28-inch trout. Oh, yeah. You feel good yeah. about it. You know, yeah. you got your pictures. You, you you measured it. You have your hands on it. Uh, as you said, you release it. That's a great feeling. Yeah. It's a better feeling than eating it. Well, it, it goes right along with trophy hunting for deer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that. When you put your sights on a deer and you look at it and then you decide, no, I'm going to give him one more year and you let him walk. Mm-hmm. I enjoy that feeling. Yeah. It's not a disappointment to me. Yeah. It's not, oh man, yeah, I wish I could have shot that I'll deer. It again. Yeah. It's go do your thing, buddy. Yeah. And make, make some more little bucks mm-hmm. and, and we'll see you next year. We'll see you next year. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll pick up on you again. Yeah. All right, before we get out of here, uh, I did this with Captain Scott, Captain Caleb McCumber, Captain Patrick when they were joining us. I've asked some other guys this uh, off air, um, but this is the end of summer. Get, we're pushing in through August. People are going to be booking some trips all the way up to Labor Day before they really get back in uh, in the swing of things in school and, and, and other things. Um, so you want to recommend a, a, a guided trip. Let's say uh, not just you, Scott, someone wants to just book you, but I would highly recommend it, especially they want to look for tarpon or uh, some tailing redfish or fly fishing. Um, but what's the way – a lot of people don't know how to book and what to do with a guide. Uh, you were sharing a story uh, earlier with me that you know, guys were asking questions that, and didn't know what to to expect from you or, or where to even – you know how to approach going with a guide uh, when – What's a, a good tutorial for someone when they want to book a guide? What's the first thing and, and what should they do? You have to have open communication. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many different ways to fish. You know, you, you know, you may want to throw croakers. You may want to throw shrimp. You may only want to throw topwaters. You mm-hmm. may only want to throw fly. Uh, there may be two of you or there may be six of you. Right. You know, and you have to communicate that with a guide right up front. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I've got somebody that calls me up and says, hey, man, I'm, I'm, I want to come down and fish down in Port O'Connor. Okay. Uh, what kind of fishing trip are you looking for? Mm-hmm. Well, there's going to be five of us. That's a, red that flag. It down. That's a red flag for me yeah. right there because I don't generally like to do that many people on a boat. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not going red fishing because I can. I, that's limited to two mm-hmm. on my little Polis gift. So now we're on the big boat. Mm-hmm. What do you want? What do you want to do? Well, yeah, we went out last year with this guy, man. We we set up on some reefs and we threw some croakers, and we just murdered the trout. I mean, we we all came back with full limits, mm-hmm. two days in a row. It's okay, I'm not your guy. Yeah, yeah. There there are other guides that do that. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with it. That's what they like to do. That's how they make their money. That's how they make a living. Right. It's not me. You're not gonna have a great day with me mm-hmm. doing that because I'm not into it. But by the other side of it, 
they call me up and they really don't know what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And so I start throwing out scenarios. Uh, so it's all about communication. Right. Uh, that's the very first step is what are your expectations mm-hmm. of a guided trip? And what is the guide willing to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, some guides want to wade. Some only want to wade. Some will wade if you push them. Yeah. You know, others want to just drift. Some of them, you know, they, everybody's got their own way of doing things and their own specialty. There's a whole lot of guys. I mean, I'm pretty versatile. Yeah. I can go wading. We can go kayaking. I can go on a polling skiff. We can run the beachfront mm-hmm. and chase tarpon. We can run out a little further. We can go, you know, state water snapper. Yeah. Yeah. We can go catch some kingfish. I've, I've got a lot of options. Uh, bait fishing just is not my thing. Right. But anything else you want to do, let's go do it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'll, I can throw out different scenarios for you as to what what a day of fishing with me is like. Mm-hmm. There are other guys that they're in, they are wade fishing like Ernest Cisneros down south. Mm-hmm. He is a wade fishing, lure throwing, catch and release guy. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're going to get when you go with him. Mm-hmm. He has mostly repeat and referred customers. So most of them know that going in. I'm sure he gets the calls with the vacationers down there that want to go out and throw croakers you know, or whatever and Ernest isn't going to take that kind of trip right so that's the biggest thing is meeting matching a guide with the expectations of the customer and that's where i said earlier you know call me you know if you want to go down south right give me a call and or shoot me an email you know whatever we we can go back and forth about it and i'll i know different guides in different places all up and down the coast mm-hmm. who do different kind of fishing mm-hmm and I can generally match you up pretty good with, right. with what I think that you're going to need. Right. And it'll give you at least to give you a starting point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, from that point, I just turn it loose. I don't try to set up these guide trips. I don't do any of that, but I do a lot of referring. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's another way to do it. You know, talk to friends who've been on a guided trip mm-hmm. and they tell it, but you'll hear, Hey man, it was a great guided trip. He was, it was awesome. It was perfect. It was this, it was that. What did you do? Right. Right. Find out what they did. I mean, to some people, a great guided trip is going out and dropping some bait down, catching a shark off the end of the jetties. Mm-hmm. That was the highlight of their vacation. That may not be what you're wanting to do. <laughs> you know, you may be wanting to go catch some trout. The guide that they recommend to you is not your guide. Right. Uh, you know, it, you, you just have to know that there's so many different kinds of fishing. There's so many different methods and there's a guide for every method. And I think understand that your expectation is, should never be just catch fish. Um, absolutely. Right. Yeah. I'll, I'll throw a Caleb in there. Absolutely. <laughs> throw so, a Caleb. <laughs> and pony him under the bus lately. Yeah. You yeah. needed to. You but, needed uh, to. so yeah, you, it's not just catching fish. Yeah, it better not be. Mm-hmm. I say better not be. There are guides that that's their thing. Mm-hmm. They load up an ice chest every day, and they're the ones that you'll see on Facebook saying laying them all out on the. They got them all table. laid out, <laughs> and they'll say limits by seven thirty, yeah. limits by eight, limits by nine, whatever it is. That's their brag is that they went out and they got you on a limit of fish, and they got you back to the dock. By 8.30. I've had horrible experiences. I don't want that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to pay for a guide to take me out and go fishing just to go catch, catch, just to catch, get catch, home. catch, 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 catch as yeah. many as we can so we can get back to the dock as fast as we can so we can clean them 
so that I can go, you know, as the guide, I can go do whatever I want to in the right. afternoon. Mm-hmm. No, that's not it, man. Yeah. Uh, a guided trip should be a learning experience. Mm-hmm. It should be something that gives you the tools and the ability to go out and catch some fish on your own later. Yeah. If the guide's not willing to share the knowledge with you a little bit, it's probably not mm-hmm. your guide, you know, if that's what you're looking for. Um, yeah, it it shouldn't be just about the bags of fillets at the end of the day. Right. I know there are a lot of trips that are about that. I know there's a lot of guides. I know there's probably a few of them listening to this mm-hmm. that are shaking their heads saying, well, that's how I make my living. You can't, you can't be a guide if you don't just – I haven't cleaned 15, 20 fish <laughs> in the last year that's so good. for customers. I, I would venture to say that I've probably cleaned in the single digits <laughs> for customers in the last year. That's awesome. And – it just you don't have any complaints do you i don't have complaints i don't have people <laughs> you know it's not that we didn't catch fish and yeah i've heard that one before too you know when i got into a little bit of a, a, a disagreement with a guy yeah and uh, he said well you just must suck at catching fish then yeah said, no yeah if i sucked at catching fish i wouldn't have any customers that's right i wouldn't you have repeat, repeat customers i definitely wouldn't have repeat customers yeah. i got lots and lots of repeat customers i've yeah. been doing this for a long time and it's not absolutely necessary if you have the right clientele mm-hmm. to send them home with bags and bags of fillets that are going to sit in a freezer and more than likely right go bad. burn and go bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ernest is making a living down there and he's guiding as much as he wants to guide. Mm-hmm. And he has an empty stringers program. And at the end of the day, they all go out wading and they're fishing. And at the end of the day, they all take a picture of their stringer That's empty, awesome. laying on the bow of the boat, and they're all leaning on it. Like everybody leans on the bow of the boat with all yeah. the fish stretched out everywhere. Yeah. They lean up there with the empty stringers. And he gives a discount to, on the trip mm-hmm. if you'll agree to do an empty stringers trip. Yeah. And then at the end and of the year. And they're as happy as they can be. Yeah. And then he puts all their names into a hat. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the year, there's a drawing. Got what it was. I think it was a couple of fishing rods last year, mm-hmm. or maybe a rod and reel or a trip or uh, something, yeah. whatever yeah. it was. Right. There was a prize mm-hmm. at the end of the year for all of his customers that did the empty stringers. It's a great idea. Uh, Wayne's getting into doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Take uh, your pictures. Yeah, take all your pictures. And <laughs> I mean, he posts pictures left and right: snook, yeah. trout, yeah. redfish, all that. And but you won't ever see a cleaning table mm-hmm. photo. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and he he's that. not against keeping fish. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. He will not keep a snook. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a hard that's fast his rule. rule. Yeah, but uh, you don't keep any snook. They're just they're too rare. Mm-hmm. And uh, but he will keep trout and reds if you want to. Yeah, I mean he's he's a businessman. He's yeah, you know, he's in this you know to make make a living. Sure. And if he's got customers that want to do that, and it's within the it's within the law. Mm-hmm. To keep some fish, that's not a problem. It's not wrong. Right. I'm not saying that it's wrong. No, it, it's just sustainability and I'm saying doing the right thing. Do the right thing. If if you feel if you have that little tug at your heart that man, I'm keeping too many fish. Mm-hmm. And I you know probably are. You probably are. Mm-hmm. If you know, if but, you open your freezer, this is the way I tell people. I I generally right now I don't think I have any fillets in my freezer, but generally I never have more than one bag of fillets in my freezer. Because if my kids come over and we want to have fish fry, I want to be able to have some fish or, yep. or whatever. But I haven't had fish in my freezer in six, eight months, you know, because oh, thankfully I'm at the position now where I can, if I want to catch fish, I'll just go catch them that day. Yep. Um, but if you open your freezer and you see six or eight bags of fillets, 
half of them are bad and and you're probably keeping too many fish yeah you know it, it, so, I don't have any in my freezer right now. I don't have, I mean, you. I don't know anybody who fishes more than you and me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's not for a lack of catching. Yeah. I promise you that. Yeah, it's not. You know, not because like that one guy told me, I was, you must suck at fishing. Uh, no. Yeah. I just don't. Okay. I just don't want to keep a whole sure. bunch of fish. You should in my just say, yeah, sure, I do. Yeah, <laughs> I'm horrible at this. But uh, yeah, I there's no reason if you live close to the coast and you get to go fishing as much as mm-hmm. you and I do, and even as much as most of the people listening to this right get to go even fishing, if it's once a month. Yeah, if you go once, once a every month, two months, whatever. There's no reason to have stacks and stacks and stacks right fillets in your freezer. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you, man. Keep keep a few. Let most of them go. Well, you can uh, book Captain Scott Knoll at Captain Scott Knoll on Facebook. Uh, you can send questions to both of us there and at uh, Instagram at Captain Scott Knoll. I am at Lopez on Sports on Twitter. You can message me. Uh, also, message me on uh, Instagram Lopez on Sports and send me those messages. All the the whole show today was uh, topics, suggestions, and questions uh, from listeners. You can do me at uh, John Lopez on Facebook. And uh, we will take care of you. Big, fun show today. We're going to get right back at it next week. We do this every week. We love it. We love fishing. We hope you catch a lot of fish. We hope you release a lot of fish, too. Keep what you want to eat and move on from there. Thanks. We'll talk to you next time.